Hey, podcast listeners, for nearly a decade, Calgarians have seen arena talks gain momentum, then fall apart. Then, just a short time ago, a deal approved by council in a unanimous vote with no public debate. The city will front more than $830 million. That's more than three times what it agreed to in 2019. The Flames will kick in $40 million. So what changed? Did Calgary get hosed? We find out in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Real Talk. Today, we're going to be digging into the relationship that people, that communities have with their sports teams and maybe more particularly with the buildings that house and showcase their sports teams. We're talking about Calgary's new arena today and and wondering, uh, quite frankly, did Calgarians get hosed on the deal? This is something that's been talked about for nearly a decade now under more than one Calgary civic administration. More than one Calgary mayor has looked that city in the eyes through the cameras rolling and promised an agreement with the ownership group of the Flames, with the, with the Calgary Stampede in some way, shape, or form. Calgarians have wrapped their minds around what a new entertainment district might look like, but time and time again, one of the parties has walked away. There have been contentious moments, breakdowns in the relationship Until recently, a new agreement struck, but at first glance, on the surface, it appears as though the city is getting a way worse deal than it was in previous manifestations of that agreement, in previous structures of that agreement. We're going to talk to Jeremy Clausus today. He's founder and editor-in-chief of The Sprawl, and they've got a new feature out. You can see it at Sprawl Calgary, the real costs of Calgary's new arena deal. That's coming up in 30 seconds. First, we want to let you know that support for this episode of Real Talk is coming from our friends at Danatech. If you want to get your team the industry's best safety training, Danatech's been Alberta's safety training leader for more than three decades. Their courses are designed by experts with real on-the-job experience, so the courses actually make a difference on your job site. You can save lost time on injuries, stay compliant with changing regulations, and save money on training. With Danatech, big companies across Canada use Danatech's Wemis, TDG, electrical and lifting device courses for very good reason. They've got a catalog of more than 150 courses across all industries. You can check out their website today, danatech.com, to see their courses and find out about bulk discounts. Again, that's danatech.com. Jeremy Clausus joining us in just a second. You can read his and his team's work at sprawlcalgary.com. They also produce the Sprawlcast, a podcast, an audio version of the stories they tell. Here's just a snippet, a portion of the most recent Sprawlcast. We had a wide range of views on this project, and through civil discourse, we arrived not only at a clear decision, but a unanimous decision. We are trying to get this done Uh, for September of 2026. In a time when affordability is top of mind for many Calgarians, this is an important investment in our local economy, our downtown recovery, and our future. It's definitely not a free lunch. There are costs because we're foregoing the opportunity to use those funds for 
other purposes. Various voices there leading off with Calgary's Mayor Jody Gondek. That was economist Dr. Trevor Toon. You heard taking us out as we welcome the editor-in-chief, the founder of Sprawl Calgary, Jeremy Clausens. It's nice to see your face. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, good to be back here, Ryan. Good to see you. Yeah, Calgarians, and, and for that matter, Albertans and, and people across the National Hockey League even, I think, wondering when one of the league's oldest buildings was going to be leveled. Uh, a new facility for the Flames have been having this conversation for close to a decade. And now, I guess, if you're a big hockey fan, if, if, if you're a fan of seeing big infrastructure projects, there's reason for optimism with recent headlines. You believe that this one's actually going to happen? Uh, it looks like it will. I actually think that this one, I think it will go ahead. Uh, I think the question now is, uh, is it a good deal for the city of Calgary? Because if you look at the deal that city council approved in 2019, uh, the city said, hey, we'll pitch in $275 million for this. And the Flames were going to do the same. So split the costs 50-50. This deal, uh, the city is putting up $831 million in cash. The Flames are putting up $40 million. Uh, so I think it is going to proceed ahead at speed. This thing has broken down a number of times. Like The deal has been talked about, like you said, for over a decade. It was 2015 uh, when the Flames kind of first put forward in earnest this idea of replacing the Saddle Dome. And the idea then was to actually replace both the Saddle Dome and McMahon Stadium and have this kind of behemoth sports complex on the west side of downtown uh, called West Village. Uh, but that proposal didn't really get off the ground. Uh, the previous mayor of Calgary, Nahed Nenshi, uh, kind of... He he fought the Flames and he fought Gary Bettman. You know, Gary Bettman would come to town and be like, the mayor needs to get on board with this and get this done. And then she would be like, well, yeah, we're not just writing you a bl blank check uh, for a new arena. Like, we're going to do our due diligence on this. So this thing's been grinding on for so long. I do think it'll go ahead. Uh, but the implications of it, the implications for the city's finances, for the next municipal election... That's what's going to be interesting, I think. Yeah, no kidding. A little bit of time between now and the next municipal election. So that may not be the number one pressure that politicians are feeling. You, you have to uh, expect that they felt pulled in a number of different directions on this. Some people hate to see a single dollar of public money go toward the, you know, the billionaire's pet projects, as they're often characterized, whereas other people hate to see a team languishing in hate to see a team embarrassed by its dated facilities. You know, you welcome star new players to town and the first thing that surfaces is photos of the dressing room they're going to be using. And they look like a high school dressing room built in the 1960s and the whole city feels shame and the mayor's office office starts to get emails and phone calls saying you better not let Murray Edwards move this team somewhere else. I'm on to something, right? People feel very strongly about the connection between sports teams in their home cities. Oh, totally. And and there is a it's interesting. I was going back when I was putting together this story, going back and looking at uh the 2019 deal and how that played out and kind of the arguments that people were making both for and against it when that came up and it was interesting to look back on Nenshi's perspective because 
uh, there was kind of all this boosterism around it, which was, you know, if we build this arena, it's going to revitalize this whole district of downtown. It's going to be this economic engine. It's going to do all this marvelous things for the city. And Nenshi's perspective, he was like, I actually don't believe any of that. Uh, I, I, he didn't go in for this boosterism angle of things, but he did say, uh, I think there is a value in that kind of civic pride that people feel. Uh, and I think you see that with the Saddle Dome. Like the Saddle Dome is such a piece of the city's infrastructure, like the Peace Bridge. It's it's like it's one of these things that is on the skyline and of it kind course. of evokes this emotional reaction. Uh both positive and negative. Uh now, like you said, it's dated and you know, people are like, let's let's replace it. Yeah, we fall uh, well. We fall in love with our our facilities and and and, and the churches of these memories, uh, and then we fall out of them just as quickly. You know, in, in particular, I know that it's been difficult for for people in Calgary to see Edmonton have a shiny new arena. Uh, opening in 2017, getting all the big new concerts. People understand there are some infrastructure shortcomings with the Saddle Dome. Can't even accommodate the big concerts anymore. Which is funny because that is exactly what happened in the early 1980s when the Saddle Mm -hmm. Dome was going to be built. So when the Flames first came to Calgary, they played in the Stampede Corral, which if you want to talk about like an ancient... uh, deteriorating barn it was amazing Uh, (laughs) yeah i can imagine what it was like to see uh games in there but then there was concern okay where the flames gonna play we need a better arena for the flames but one of the other concerns was that edmonton had just built this nice new arena northlands coliseum and hey look bruce springsteen and whoever else is bypassing calgary and going to Edmonton, and are we going to let this happen? Like, we need to build a new arena, not just for the hockey, but for the music, for the big shows. So it's interesting to me, this just kind of repeats itself. We're seeing the exact same arguments right now. Okay, so I, I'm curious to know, and I've got a million questions for you, Jeremy. People can check out your work at sprawlcalgary.com. I love how you do it. They can read the long-form reporting, and then they can also listen to the Sprawlcast, which is great. You've, you're working it out in in beautiful fashion there on the storytelling front, on the accessibility front. So let's get into the details. Like I remember sitting in the Saddle Dome uh, around 2017, uh, right around that municipal election, uh, Nehed Nenshi, the incumbent seeking re-election, and Bill Smith, who appeared to be the most formidable challenger, uh, was quite openly the favorite of the Calgary Flames. <laughs> I remember the LED boards, the advertising around the ring of the Saddle Dome was like, vote Bill Smith in like red and yellow text. I mean, it was just so obvious that Nenshi was not the preferred candidate of the Calgary Flames. Bill Smith didn't win. I mean, that's democracy. The people of Calgary, I guess, didn't like what he was putting out there, running on getting an arena deal done. Uh, what changed between then a couple of other breakdowns, including with the current mayor, Jody Gondek. I don't think that the only reason why her former chief of staff, Stephen Carter, lost his job was the breakdown in the arena deal talks. But that was appeared to be a big part of it. That was early in her tenure after winning that election. So how did we get to where we are right now? Yeah, I think there's an element of, like you say, it's just been going on for so long um, after. So so council approved this deal. So let's go back to Bill Smith ads in the Saddle Dome, what you're talking about. 
that election, very interesting. Nenshi was running against Bill Smith, but kind of also running against Ken King and Gary Bettman and the Flames. He kind of cast himself as, you know what, these guys want to fleece us for this new arena. And like, I'm going to stand up to these billionaires. I'm going to fight for a good deal for Calgary. You know, if they want to, they want us to pay for all this, you know, they can go pay for it themselves. So he kind of cast himself as standing up for the city, uh, the citizens and their interests. Um, his position did soften, though, uh, a couple years in, and they came to a deal, which was let's split the costs 50-50, $550 million. And then she says, you know, I think this makes sense on its merits. It's worth it for the civic uh, pride type stuff. Uh, and then, of course, as things happen with these things, costs escalate. 550. Oh, well, that's that that won't quite do it. So it looks like it'll be over 600 million. Uh, and, and so by the time the last election rolls around in 2021, the arena is again an issue. And you have progressive candidates campaigning on, you know, no more public dollars for the flames. Uh, progressive candidates like Jasmine Meehan saying, you know, basically council got railroaded. And if I could go back and undo this deal, I would. Like these guys can, they want an arena, they can pay for it themselves. That election happens. Jyoti Gondik uh, is elected mayor. Uh, and the thing breaks down. And, and this is where it gets kind of murky and doesn't still add up to me, which is apparently it fell apart over the costs of some sidewalks and solar panels, which are like very tiny in the big scope of the cost of the actual project. In any case, the flames walk away and this new council kind of comes together right away after that and says, let's reboot this. Uh, Sonia Sharp uh, is a first term counselor. She kind of champions this and she says, let's do this, uh, but we're gonna do it different. And so she's been leading this charge, but one of the elements of it is that there has been no real substantial public discussion uh, or public engagement on it. It's kind of like, let's make this happen. And what what happened was they came out in April and were like, we got a deal. This is what it is. They didn't even debate it at council, which is a significant difference from the last one in 2019. There you had people critiquing it. You had people arguing for it, against it. It was all discussed on the floor of council. This time, uh, kind of under Sharp's uh, championing of this and the mayor, uh, they come out, they say, you know what, this is a restricted item. Uh, and they, they voted on it in less than two minutes. It came to council, they voted on it in less than two minutes, unanimous vote, everybody in full agreement, and so that's where we're at. I don't know. Uh, someone that like nerds out in municipal politics, and that's a compliment, not an insult. Uh, but someone who nerds out in municipal politics could probably tell me uh, the last time that Edmonton's council voted unanimously on something. I don't know what it would have been. It probably would have been something like like, a, you know, a, a no hate policy or something positive for the community. But on like a, an 800 plus million dollar municipal investment, there's no way Edmonton's council's got an interesting dynamic. And everybody there's a lot of people trying to make a name for themselves there. And you would have the naysayers, as most councils do, the people that you can count on to be the no votes. There would be at least one, probably three or four. But I mean, you 
unanimous, a unanimous decision by the city of Calgary, by its counselors? I mean, how significant is that, Jeremy, for people that don't watch council proceedings every single day? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there will, you know, be unanimous votes on very small kind of inconsequential stuff things, or, or things that are no brainers. No like brainers. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, this is, I would say, very unusual. If you look at the last council, uh, when the when the arena deal came up in 2019, it was an 11 to four vote. And and those four who voted against it were providing a substantial critique. Um, and very interestingly, you had it on the right and you had it on the left. So you had, you know, Jeremy Farkas was a conservative city councillor at the time. He was kind of critiquing it from the right, uh, from the, you know, is this a good use of taxpayers' dollars, fiscal responsibility kind of argument. Uh, and then you had Drew Farrell on the left actually kind of critiquing it from with the same arguments, like what are we doing spending money on this when we, you know, the city had just cut its transit budget and things like that. And then, then this arena deal came up. So you had this vigorous discussion happening in public. So not just on the floor of council, uh, but in the public as well. And this time it's been very, uh, how would I say, I, I don't know if I'd say the word manufactured, but it's been orchestrated to kind of minimize that public discussion. And part of that is the 15 of them emerging from behind closed doors and saying, yep, we're all, we're all in agreement on this. And so, you know, I've talked to a lot of people in Calgary who were kind of like, what in the world just happened there? Uh, because this includes people who had campaigned against, you know, more arena dollars for the Flames. And so then they're walking out and saying, Nope, this is great for the city. You know, it'll revitalize this area. Everything's good. Well, I mean, it is true. It will revitalize the area. And and it is true to get a huge infrastructure project right in the downtown is positive, typically for a city. But at what expense? I mean, you have to look at the bottom line. Um, pe people might be curious to see how this stacks up against the Edmonton deal. And, and we'll go there in just a second. Jeremy Claus is editor-in-chief of The Sprawl with us. If you're just uh, joining the show, uh, maybe live tuning uh, on the Mixer audio app presented by California Closets. You can read his work at sprawlcalgary.com. And we're going to talk about supporting his journalism uh, before we wrap today. But Jeremy, what do you think changed like like i mean i guess i'm asking you to speculate but of any counselors that were vociferously against this i mean some of the language was even pretty supercharged uh to to, to simply emerge as a united front i mean obviously something happened what do you think it was yeah i mean there's there's a few things if you talk to them and i did talk to them i read back their own words to them i said Hey, Courtney Walcott, you campaigned on no more public dollars for the flame. You campaigned on no more billion ba billionaire bailouts uh, for the flames without, you know, Calgarians being engaged. I read that back to him. I read Jasmine Meehan, you know, saying uh, council got railroaded. If the flames want an arena, they should build it themselves. You talk to them and the argument is kind of like, this, this deal was so good uh, that we had to do it. So like one element of the new deal is that the province is kicking in money. The province is kicking in uh, over 300 million, most of that for infrastructure around the arena. So there's an underpass that'll connect Victoria Park to East Village and kind of help get people in and out of the arena. 
Um, and so that, the way that played out was very interesting too, because this whole thing was announced in April, right after uh, the kickoff of the provincial election. Yeah, so this was definitely, definitely an election issue in Calgary. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and so and so you have Danielle Smith. She just kicked, kicked off an election, standing up there with Jody Gondek and Sonia Sharp, Councillor Sonia Sharp, uh, and Smith explicitly saying. Calgarians vote for us, vote for the UCP on May 25th or whatever it is, so we can get this, so we can get this deal done. So very, that was, uh, you know, again, I think a lot of people were like, what? Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, showing, well, I'm showing one of the photos on my screen right here. This, this was the big one. I remember it was, you know, Jody Gondek and Danielle Smith together, brought together by one of the Flames' all-time greats, Lanny McDonald. Yeah. And, and, and and I I remember uh, we had Gondek on the show uh, right around this time-ish. And, you know, Jeremy, we've got a very engaged audience. We get a lot of questions in the live chat. And, and I remember a few people you know, imploring us to ask Calgary's mayor if she felt like she was being used as a pawn in the UCP's campaign down in Calgary. It was a very interesting time and undeniably uh, was something that Calgarians would have been considering at least a lot of them as they were casting their votes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the progressive side, I know a lot of progressives were quite taken aback to see again, this unanimous vote for D Daniel Smith, premier Smith standing up there saying, wow, unanimous vote. Like everybody's on board with this. Like, let's move ahead with it. Vote UCP on May 25th. Yeah. Uh, so as for what really happened, I mean, you know, in these cases, the city hired, a uh, advisory slash negotiating firm to kind of make this happen this time, make it happen for real. Um, and and talking to counselors, you know, it sounds like they were presented behind closed doors with a very compelling case on on why to move ahead with this. I also wonder, you know, with progressives in particular, there's this idea of trust the experts. We need to trust the experts. Actually, that's something Mayor Gondek. Uh, says quite a bit in council, something like the housing strategy comes up and she's like, you know what? I trust the experts. This has been put together. Let's do it. Um, and, and so I wonder if that plays into this too, where, you know, counselors look at it and are like, well, seems like these people know what they're talking about. So let's do it. Trust the experts. Hey Jeremy, uh, on your uh, on your Instagram, I, I enjoyed this. You celebrated the city of Calgary celebrated the 40th birthday of the Saddle Dome. Um, I am a Calgary kid, born and raised. Uh, we pulled your Instagram photo there. You see, today the Saddle Dome officially turns 40 years old, and I love you showed the throwback Peter Mansbridge. Peter Mansbridge uh, with hair, with like and like for people that are watching on YouTube, Dead. you can see there's like yeah the 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 big fax machine behind him, which is amazing uh, <laughs> yeah, on set. Like it's like da 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 da. Yeah, that's getting, what you, that's what you need, Ryan. Yeah, getting a big getting a fax mid show with an updated yeah, exactly. But yeah, like Johnny says, it's hilarious. Like in red across the image of the saddle it just says debt. Um, I haven't seen uh, the Nationals reporting on that from 40 years ago. Do you have any context there? Were, were, were people decrying anybody going into debt, building this project 40 years ago? Have attitudes oh, yeah, yeah. changed? Yeah, it was a controversial thing. And actually the Saddle Dome, and I had forgotten about this, the Saddle Dome was built with public money. Mm. Uh, municipal, provincial, federal. Olympics I mean, coming all, at the all, time, obviously, exactly. right? 
Olympics was coming. So that was the big engine. It's like, yeah. let's build this and let's get it done. It's very interesting to look back on that period of time in Calgary's history versus now. Like I have a good friend who's, you know, season tickets, Flames fan holder. And he kind of said to me exasperated one day, he's like, what does it take in this city to get something built? Uh. Uh, like just watching this thing grind on and go through different iterations. But if you look back at the eighties, uh, the Olympics were coming and that was kind of the impetus to get a bunch of stuff done. So the saddle dome was one of those projects, but it was contentious at the time. People were like, why are we paying, you know, all this money for this. There were cost overruns uh, to the tune of, I think it was like the budget was $84 million and the overruns were $16 million or something. So that was contentious. Uh, but yeah, I, I get a kick out of how history just repeats itself. But there's something to what your buddy's saying uh, about what does it take to get things built around here. And, and that has to have been a big motivating factor for some of these politicians that were probably looking to establish. Um, and, and I think if I'm the mayor of Calgary, I'm looking to establish that I'm not necessarily looking to pick fights with the billionaires, the movers and the shakers. I'm not looking to pick a fight with, you know, big shots in, in the oil sands industry and the major players uh, in Calgary's downtown. I'm looking to establish the fact that, that Calgary deserves its reputation as one of Canada's young burgeoning urban centers, drawing the brightest young talent, proving that it's still Canada's energy capital. You want to see construction cranes up. You want to see tradespeople working, right? I mean, that is a thing. And a, oh, city, totally. right? and, uh, a city can quickly develop a reputation, as can a province, as can a country, as, a, as one that's not business friendly, and that's very inconvenient for the politicians. Oh, for sure. And that's a factor here. Uh, and in fact, when this passed, Mayor Gondick, repeatedly said this is a signal that we are investing in the downtown that yep. we see a future in the downtown that like we see a future for this city we're a yes city not a no city all that stuff um but yeah i i, I like again looking back to the 80s to get a project like this done you almost have to ram it through like you have to look at it be like this is what the city needs and you got to go for it um and, and I think that is essentially what Councillor Sonia Sharp, the approach that she's taken on this, which is, you know, we're not going to dither with this and take forever and go out and do all this public engagement and all this stuff. It's like, no, we've done all that for all the past ones. Let's get this done. Uh, and, and I think you see that, too, actually, if you go back to the 1980s, looking at the LRT being built at the time, uh, you know, through neighborhoods like Sunnyside, where people were opposed to it, uh, like residents in the area. And and Ralph Klein was the mayor at the time. And he was kind of like, nope, this is happening. Like, give her. Uh, and, it, and that was kind of the mood at the time uh, of, of the administration. So I, I do think you see echoes of that, where it's like, you know, if we're going to do this, you got to do it. We can't just sit around and talk about this forever. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, we're talking to Jeremy Clausus in a second. Uh, I want us to stack up. Like You may just tell me, 
in 90 seconds from now that it's apples and oranges and it doesn't make sense. But but I do think it's important to take a look at the Edmonton Arena deal versus the Calgary Arena deal. There's some huge differences there. Obviously, the dollar value is quite significantly different as well. But we'll we'll take a look at, at, at what worked in Edmonton, uh, what was contentious at that time, and, and maybe how that applies to the Calgary Arena deal. That's coming up. This episode is happening with support of Real Talk sponsors like our friends at California Closets. All this talk about building, all this talk about improvement, Is it inspiring you to maybe move forward with your own plan to improve your living space, to improve the quality of your storage, your organization, how you feel about your number one investment, your home? California Closets is providing customized design solutions for clients in all different types of scenarios. For you, it could be a walk-in closet. Maybe it's an art center for the kids, or maybe it's an entertainment center that the whole family can enjoy. Make the most of your space with custom organizational systems from California Closets, including the workhorse of your home, the garage. You know, more and more people are realizing the potential that's right there in the garage. And California Closets is the best in the business at coming up with custom solutions that work for you. It all starts with a free design consultation at californiaclosets.ca. You know, we tell you time and time again how proud we are to partner with Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. Why? Because we've been feeding our dogs Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food for years now, way before we started doing business with this family-owned company, and we've seen the health benefits. Right now, through the month of October, you can knock $16 off a box of chicken veggie dog food blend using the discount code OCTOBER2023. That's OCTOBER2023, the discount code to use at granddog.ca. Also, make sure you check out their four-leaf rover bundles, including fiber boosts for dogs. If your dog is like our old fella, Moses, experiencing hip and joint issues, there's a bundle for that. There's a bundle for allergy support, a basic bundle, one for healthy skin, immunity support, and more. You get the idea. Grand Dog Essentials delivers to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, Central Alberta, and you can knock 10% off your first order with the promo code REALTALK at granddog.ca. And while we're talking about building and improving spaces, how about the outdoor spaces? That's where Eden Landscaping is the expert in the Metro Edmonton region for more than 20 years. They've been helping people bring their outdoor spaces to life, like beautiful projects in the Balmoral Heights neighborhood. The client here had a vision of West Coast spirit meeting modern design. And that's why they took inspiration like boulders from the banks of the North Saskatchewan River to create a pair of dry creek beds, adding visual depth as well as, uh, this is, I mean, basically science in action, nourishing the greenery at their banks. The yard is working for the clients. The highlights include a fire pit and alfresco dining area, a cedar pergola, and water features, you can check out this installation and other amazing projects by visiting Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Jeremy Claus is our guest. He's founder and editor-in-chief at Sprawl Calgary. His newest piece out talking about the real cost of Calgary's arena deal. Uh, Jeremy, 
Rogers' place opens in Edmonton just in time for the puck drop on the Oilers' season. Uh, hard to look back now and believe it's six, seven years ago that the Oilers uh, first moved into that rank. Of course, there's been a ton of high-profile concerts, the sold-out series with Garth Brooks. Everybody knows that. And Calgarians looked up north and started to feel that burn, the feeling they didn't love. The arena deal in Edmonton happened, and people can check it out online. It's easy to find. The funding for Rogers Place, in total, just over $480 million, including the underground parking structure. Of that, the Flames, uh, or rather the Oilers' ownership, the Cates Group, uh, paid about $132 million. 113 of that paid to the city as rent over 35 years, uh, covering the city's principal and interest costs as well. The remaining $20 million paid as cash. The city of Edmonton's contribution of about a quarter billion dollars, $226 million, including funding through that CRL, the Community Revitalization Levy, which was paid back ahead of schedule, new parking revenues, and redirecting a subsidy that was in place for the old rink. Uh, they also collected and are collecting $125 million through a ticket surcharge. Uh, widely viewed, I think in retrospect, is a pretty good deal for the city of Edmonton, all things considered. Uh, how do the Calgary and Edmonton deals compare? Well, that, yeah, and Calgarians are, will probably look at that now and be like, wow, that, uh, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. In the past, they might have been more critical of it. But uh, yeah, it. I mean, the big thing that jumps out to me is just the, the number, the price tag of the whole project and what the city is putting into it, what Edmonton put into it and what Calgary is putting in. And I should clarify one thing I didn't mention earlier. I said, you know, uh, the city of Calgary is putting up $831 million, uh, in cash for the new arena. That is true. Now, the Flames are paying back, paying back uh, $316 million over the next 35 years. So that there is that similar element uh, to Edmonton's deal. But... Uh, yeah, it's just the scale of it is is very, very different. Calgary, they did it a little bit differently uh, this time around where they were like, you know, we're not going to do all this, you know, ticket tax and like these little these little ways to recoup revenue. They were like, we're just going to roll that all into these annual lease payments that the Flames are going to pay us annually. Uh, I think it starts at 17 million a year and then it goes up incrementally over over 35 years so but i mean it'll be interesting to as time unfolds look back and say you know who got the better deal here you look at it right now uh you look at the price tags and maybe edmonton got the better deal I mean, you know, comparing price tags is, is, you know, when we're talking, you know, this arena in Calgary, I'm assuming uh, they're saying it's going to break ground. What Like they're obviously not going to tear up those grounds before a Calgary stampede. So the earliest they would break ground on this would be what July of next summer at the they're, yeah, earliest they're talking next year. So and, July and like 24? the most optimistic uh, John being the flame CEO has said, you know, we're gunning to have this thing open uh for the 2026 season likely that won't happen he even acknowledged that yeah you know it'll probably be the next 
next year but yeah uh, i mean construction projects uh, typically are uh you know off schedule and over budget but that's just the cynic in me Uh, obviously everybody would like to see it completed as soon as possible it will be a huge shot in the arm a huge injection into calgary's downtown that is positive i want to get to our uh live chat here and and obviously some of the comments that that people have here you know pointing out that you know seventh pilot says the arena is not just for hockey these are used for countless events so i mean it's obviously good for calgary's downtown cheryl says there's a housing shortage Uh, Cheryl's not wrong says this kind of cash could go a long way uh, to help solve homelessness some people might say well that's that's a that's a different conversation maybe that doesn't belong in the same conversation but but right at the outset of our uh, talk here Jeremy we played a clip and and you cite or you quote uh, economist Dr. Trevor Toome who does say you know this isn't a free lunch just because people's property taxes are going up doesn't mean it's a free lunch the calgary uh, uh, council has made a decision here to commit a significant amount of cash that could otherwise be allocated right there's not as much breathing room i guess is what i'm saying yeah yeah and i mean they've they've made this cash commitment some of which they is earmarked from the previous deal right so they kind of already had this set aside in their reserves for a project like this but it's very interesting the the comment on housing because earlier this month uh the city and the flames announced that the formal agreements for the deal had been signed so there was this big press conference at calgary city hall like more people than i've seen uh it was kind of funny all the media that was there i was like i haven't seen this many other journalists in one place for a long time um but councillor sonia sharp in announcing this news actually alluded to housing and she said hey we have you know she kind of nodded to the housing crisis saying this new uh you know event center district or whatever you want to call it will have eight thousand or nine thousand new residents living here so so they're trying to make the connection too and say hey this is this is going to build more housing supply uh in this part of in this part of the city yeah, um, this is uh, maybe coming at a time as well where, and maybe I'm reading too much into this. I mean, this I'm talking about the, the actual management of the hockey club and some of the recent developments. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, who's who's developed into, um, you know, potentially this year a Hart Trophy finalist, uh, took his team, the Florida Panthers, to the Stanley Cup final after letting the Flames know that he didn't plan on re-upping with them. Johnny Goudreau, you know, one of the Flames' all-time greats, one of their all-time top scorers, Johnny Hockey. Just a very likable guy, I think, shocking everybody by by going to Columbus and just a bizarre move. But you you got the sense, you know, even even, even current Flames. I mean, you know, they they signed Backlund, which is good. They're trying to get Lindholm under contract, but people are going like, is is Calgary not a place where people want to play anymore? Is there like a a stigma attached to the Calgary Flames? And I know that there were Flames fans that were starting to feel, whether they admitted it or not. Maybe a little bit insecure about the whole thing. Uh, Calgary's a wonderful city. It's a city where I was born and raised, uh, and uh, and I think that the city sells itself. It's 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 an amazing city, but optically, it's it's been a bit of a tough stretch for the Flames, and 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 maybe this is something that that gives the fan base reason to remind themselves that that, that there are good things that lie in wait, that the future is bright. And probably uh, for a lot of people, some sense of relief that as part of the deal, Flames ownership commits to staying in the city for another 35 years. Is that yeah, something is that the, the average deal. person is talking about? The fact that there is a commitment for the Flames to stay in Calgary? 
I don't know that that was ever really in question realistically i i, I mean that gets thrown around in the course orders always threaten it they always threaten yeah, there's the, the threat and and you know kate's did the same thing in edmonton and yeah it, it's just part of the playbook so i don't think anybody who seriously follows these things uh was like oh you know the the flames are in we're we're, we're about to lose the flames even though premier smith uh yeah you know people will say this kind of stuff you know we that this will keep the flames in calgary but i mean to your point i do know that you know john bean uh the flame ceo did a a q and a earlier this month and he yeah he's for them uh they're like this is reason for optimism like for this club like we're going to get this going it's kind of going to invigorate uh the team the fan base uh so i think there is there is that element to it for sure uh yeah calgary yeah we're, we're always insecure you know we see these shows going to edmonton we see edmonton's nice new arena but the the funny thing is i'm actually an oilers fan don't tell anybody <laughs> that but i grew uh, up outside edmonton so when it comes to it uh battle of alberta uh I'm going for the Oilers. Okay, so we've got uh, a talk show host here based in Edmonton who used to work for the Oilers but was a born and raised Calgary Flames fan interviewing a Calgary-based uh, publisher uh, and and uh, you know you know media uh, player down in in Cowtown who grew up outside Edmonton and is an Oilers fan at heart. So if people want to kind of wrap their mind around the dynamic that's happening in this conversation, <laughs> nice and simple. All of this produced by the Oilers' former DJ Johnny Infamous. There's a lot of NHL angles. Hey, Jared, before we let you go, thank you for your time. Uh, let me ask you, and I know I'm not putting you on the spot because you're the one that authored this piece as well people can check it out at sprawlcalgary.com the fight over calgary's housing plan um can, can you tee this up for us and, and, and give us an idea of what's happening down for people that haven't been paying attention to this story in fulsome detail what's happening with housing down in calgary it's been popping up in and out of the headlines even national headlines over the past number of months oh yeah 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 well the city passed uh last month a new housing strategy uh one of the key parts of it though is the fight of, over it is still to come. And I think you're having something similar happening in Edmonton as we speak, which is around zoning, uh, changing the base level of zoning big time. citywide. Yeah, that's the big one. Uh, and, and you know what, Jeremy, like people, I'm, let, let's get into it because a lot of people aren't talking about it because it's not sexy and it's not that interesting. But but there's a lot at play here. There's a lot at stake. Oh, yeah. There's a lot at stake and the politics of it are fascinating to follow. I find it very uh interesting when you look at what the federal conservatives are saying what the federal liberals are saying which is basically like let's get as much housing supply built as we can uh and, and even the federal conservatives taking on some of these uh municipal council members uh saying you guys are essentially getting in the way you're stopping much needed housing from being built so i'm thinking in particular of michelle Michelle Rumpel Garner, uh, Calgary Conservative MP, talking to Calgary's City Council and it, very uh, alluding to Conservative councillors like Sonia Sharp, who is fighting for, you know, let's not change this zoning bylaw. Let's keep it 
more or less how it is so people can come and have their say when there are zoning changes in their neighborhood. And Michelle Rempel Garner is saying, you know, you're pandering to these quote unquote NIMBY votes. Yeah. And like you got to stop doing that. So the politics, the politics of it are very fascinating. Well, because everybody knows that that at every level of government and, and Pierre Polyev is is setting up the next federal election to be all about affordability, inflation, uh, you know, people's lifestyles, debt loads. Right. I mean, like th- that's the whole plan, the whole just inflation thing. And so conservative politicians uh, or for that matter, politicians of any stripe uh, that are incumbent that are heading into that election know that they're going to be evaluated on proof of performance in most ridings anyway. And people are going to be saying, what did you do to try to turn the tide? What did you do to try to improve the scenario? What did you do to try to get people into housing that they can afford? And there's so many angles on that that matter. And so, of course, they're going to be looking at this. I was talking to a builder in Edmonton just a couple of days ago, Jeremy, he said actually he was praising Calgary's plan and he was saying that Edmonton's doesn't go far enough. Uh, basically, some of the some of the zoning changes in some residential areas mean that in Edmonton, you'll only be able to build up to three stories uh, for multifamily or multi-unit housing. Whereas I, I understand a difference of, of just a few feet in Calgary uh, allows there to be four story buildings built. And he was talking to me about he said that might seem small. That might seem like a small difference he said but it's actually huge and he was saying that calgary's doing a better job in his estimation of addressing the housing shortage than edmonton is interesting well yeah, yeah maybe we'll uh, maybe you get the better arena deal and then in the at the end of the day we uh, do a better job of addressing the housing shortage yeah well i mean that's a feather in the cap i guess for both cities and uh, you can pick which one you'd rather be better at um, yeah it'll, it'll be fascinating though to see to see this to see this play out because i mean it this stuff plays out at the most ground level yeah. of of politics. Like you walk out your door and look down your street and, you know, a new housing a row house is going up and like it get, people get emotional. And it's it's really interesting to see how that will unfold. Yeah, it's 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 been really interesting to see a lot of so-called progressive and left leaning politicians and former politicians in Edmonton be the ones that are adamantly against oh, yeah. some of the proposed not, changes. Not that we're mentioning not that we're mentioning any names like Kevin Taft. Like Kevin right? Taft, former leader of the Alberta Liberal Party, who wants to make sure that everybody still has their big backyards. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh that I mean that's a whole thing to unpack, which is progressives who are uh opposed to these zoning changes. I, I yeah. and I'm talking about like you say high-powered progressives who have had positions of or have positions of influence in politics in the alberta ndp same Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. you start digging there you'll see like a number of prominent people uh involved with kind of trying to protect the status quo for sure like shut down and close down all the private golf clubs but don't inconvenience any rich residential property owners shut down the public or the private golf clubs but don't touch our historic neighborhoods that's the position that's being taken by a lot of them yeah yeah people in arts organizations like progressives Uh, that's a whole, that's a whole issue, but I think that should be talked about too. Cause I, I, I don't think it is enough. Yeah, no, I agree. And, uh, I love when people are made to feel uncomfortable by their own politics. Uh, that's something that I think should happen more frequently, including with me and you, Jer. Uh, and we love when people hold us accountable. We love when people interact and engage with our content before we go. 
I appreciate how you kick off your sprawl cast. And we remind people they can read your work at sprawlcalgary.com, but they can also listen to it. I love it. You got to deal with CJSR, right? Uh, CJSW. CJSW, pardon me. Uh, yeah, getting my cities mixed up. Um, and, and so it airs there, and then they can also download it in podcast form. That's what I do when I listen to it. Um, but you kick it off by simply saying, uh, if you like what we're doing, if you value our journalism, then please support us so we can continue to put these important stories out there. I don't think it's lost on anybody that the media landscape is changing and, and without citizen support, um, entities like the sprawl down in Calgary and for that matter, real talk uh, just can't happen. So what are the best ways that people can support sprawl? Best way is by pitching in a few dollars, go to sprawlcalgary.com. Uh, and yeah, you can sign up as a monthly supporter or as a one-time supporter, but that's what makes the whole thing go. And, you know, for a story like this one that we just did, like that involved reviewing upwards of 20, uh, city council meetings. I mean, combing over all this stuff, combing over all these documents over a period of a decade. Oh yeah. I love, (laughs) I love it. It's fun, but it takes a ton of time and a ton of work. So if people appreciate it, it doesn't happen magically. Uh, you got to pitch in to make it happen. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, I'm grateful that there are people like you, Jeremy, that are willing to to go through the transcripts of 20 different meetings and pour through documents so the rest of us with very short attention spans don't have to do it. Uh, congratulations on a great bit of journalism at sprawlcalgary.com. Um, I, I love how you uh, report these things in earnest. You obviously care very deeply about what you do in the city from where you do it. We'll chat with you again soon, pal. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Great to be here. You got it. That's Jeremy Clausus, uh, the founder and editor-in-chief at Sprawl Calgary. God great bless job him down and all there. those journalists like him. It's yeah. just no joke, man. Throw a dollar, throw $2, throw $10, throw $1,000, whatever you got. Yeah. Because nowadays, especially we've been talking about it, it's, it's really hard yeah. to continue to do what you do. And I'm not just talking about people who, you know, the big stories and exposing criminals. It's just everyday people like Jeremy, Jeremy, who are, who are talking about arena deals, who are talking about housing, who are talking yeah. about stuff like that. It's getting harder and harder for them to continue to do what they do the best they can because they don't have the funds to do it. So totally. And, yeah. and to, and to fund like the long form journalism, exactly. right? the stuff that takes when you got to research stuff for, for three, four or five months, you got to get all the facts in order like that. That stuff takes money. So yeah, you got it. Uh, yeah, again, uh, Sprawl Calgary is where you can see that happen. Now, of course, you know that support for this podcast on Real Talk, support for this show uh, comes from sponsors like our friends at Friesen Brothers who want to remind you that coming up on October 21st and 22nd, they present the October Feast. Yeah, that's right. From 4 to 8 p.m. at all of Friesen Brothers' fresh market stores. You can find the details at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N. Again, 4 to 8 p.m. A German-inspired all-you-can-eat meal. Just 25 bucks per person. Includes Alberta beef rouladen, chicken fricassee, German potato dumplings, sauerkraut, German rice, sourdough buns, the full salad bar, and so much more. Plus, don't forget... Thanksgiving may be behind us, but you've got a chance to win your ham. That's right. Win your ham at Friesen Brothers. All Smart Shopper Loyalty Program members can win a gift card matching the amount that they spent 
on Friesen Brothers Banjo's Classic Ham this week. You can find more information at the weekly flyer mm-hmm. at Friesen.com. That buffet is packed every weekend. I go into our local Friesen Bros Rabbit Hill Road. I was like, is the German thing going on right now? Is it October? No. They people just love that buffet. Always fresh food. Well, you know what? Like you've ever, you know, you've been to a buffet and some people think like a oh, buffet, they think like lousy, like instant mashed Rice potatoes that's and been like sitting lousy there for two days. Like, yeah. The Friesen Brothers buffet <laughs> is amazing. like if you were at grandma and grandpa's house <laughs> and they had been working for 48 hours on putting together an incredible <laughs> home style like it's I always talk I always rave about the the, the braised beef short rib that's yeah. like my personal go to with mm-hmm. a big glob of horseradish on it the yeah. best there's so much great stuff there for everyone yeah for everybody absolutely great including a lot of plant-based options uh, johnny's a big fan of those as he tells us uh, here in our studio we're grateful every single day we show up for the work that was done by complete care restoration sure everybody knows them for how they're able to get people back on their feet after fire and flood damage hits, right? That's the nightmare. Or you think you're knocking out a wall to maybe open up your kitchen, something like that. You're going to open up the main floor of your house, and what do you discover? Oh, black mold. Even worse, potentially, asbestos. Don't try to handle something like that yourself, right? You're going to want to get in touch with their trained experts that can assist in sampling and analyzing building materials, ensuring hazardous substances are properly addressed. And then if you're one of those that's looking at maybe a piece of property you got downtown, could be a small commercial building, an office building, you're looking at making it a conversion project, complete care restoration, that's right up their alley. They did the exact same thing for us. We give them two thumbs up for their professionalism, for the quality of their work. If you have any questions about working with Complete Care, send me an email and ask about it. I mean what I say when I talk about them. You can find them online at CompleteCareRestoration.ca. And a shout out to our friends at Kubi Energy. Uh, we're always telling you to go check out their Instagram. Uh, you'll find them at Kubi Energy, where you can meet team members of theirs, the, the human team members, Johnny, and also the four-legged ones like yeah. Yoda, the office pup. Uh, this is Jake's dog. Jake is the CEO of Kubi, and Yoda brightens everybody day when he makes an appearance in the office. Uh, just a very, very good boy is Yoda. You know, <laughs> they've got that soccer ball didn't last long when Yoda no. got a hold of it, but that's okay. He still loves ripping it around at Kubi HQ. You know, they talk about the workplace and how really having a quality team and a workplace where there's a lot of fun and a lot of focus is drawing more and more people into the office these days. Well, that's what Kubi believes in. It's why they got ball hockey on Fridays. It's why they got cold beer on tap. Working for Kubi, it's a little bit different than the other guys, and they're hiring right now. You can check out more details at kubienergy.ca. Working at Kubi sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, you know what? You know what would be really cool as well? When we're working at Kubi. Yeah. Uh, to be part of something where, you know, you and I have both worked in radio. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember when I was working in AM radio. Mm-hmm. Great while it lasted. Uh, did you see LinkedIn suggested the other day? So LinkedIn suggested last night. My old radio station's hiring a senior talk show host. Oh, there and you go. LinkedIn put it on my radar. They said, yeah. we, your skill set seems yeah. to match this job posting. You could I be thought. like, I have previous experience in this Act exact radio. Well, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, LinkedIn. But there was that feeling when you're, when you're working on a platform or in an industry, and it's not just limited to media. People mm-hmm. can, can relate to this all around, and, and you see 
threats to that industry's viability. You see long term that the future of that industry, yeah. the opportunities may be waning as mm-hmm. opposed to growing. Uh, and working in renewables, like working at Kubi, all you're seeing is more and more interest growth. in the growth. area, more and more growth in the area. And you feel good about the environmental impact of what you're doing, too. So, And it's one of the reasons I came over here to do what I do with you. It's, it's hard because I have so many friends in media and I, I, I love what they do. And I'm just I'm really scared about that landscape. It's it's I mean, we see it every every, you know, third or fourth quarter, all the layoffs. Well, it comes back to what we're just talking about, even with Jeremy in the sprawl, right? Yeah. Like newspaper newsrooms, like classic print, traditional print newsrooms mm-hmm. are shrinking mm-hmm. and, and, and people are losing their jobs and the people that keep their jobs mm-hmm. are expecting now are expected to do the jobs of two or three people for the same amount of pay that yeah. they were making 10 years ago. So. And it's not animosity or like, yeah, not at all. like we, we got out. It's, it, it's, not at all. I enjoy radio. I love turning on local radio. This is the new radio and, and d- doing whatever. But now I can get the same stuff from the local podcast is in Alberta uh, yeah. podcast rather in Alberta, in Ontario, in Canada, in the States, get all my news and get all my funny stuff. And, and even like, I don't want to say it, but like, like most people, they jump in their car. Now, like if you want to hear your favorite song, it's right there on your phone. It's yeah. on Spotify, right? Yeah. You don't have to turn on the radio and listen, but I still think we should support local media in all forms as much as we possibly can, even though the other stuff is so, minute to minute just right there for yeah you, you well, i mean that's and that's why you'll you'll meet a lot of the independent storytellers it's why you'll meet a lot of independent media players across the country on this show and that's intentional mm-hmm. uh, nobody's going to care more about the quality of their product than the people that are doing it from from not just a professional standpoint like this is how i pay my bills but also out of a conviction mm-hmm. that, of the importance of storytelling of when course. people make it personal when they yeah. make it their life's work and that applies across industries right like mm-hmm. the family owned restaurants the family owned mm-hmm. retail locations all those types of yeah. things you know speaking of local stories yeah. and animals because i know we were just kicking you were just uh, queuing up the, i love yoda destroying the ball uh local mla one of my favorites oh, janice, janice Irwin, Irwin. yesterday yeah. had a real big scare uh we wanted to chat about it because we were talking about it uh you know her cat oregano got out apparently a friend of hers just left the front door open which is a big no-no for indoor cats whoever that friend is slap on the wrist but i'm only joking about it because eventually oregano was missing there was like a plea like my wife loves janice Irwin, so immediately my partner texted me it was like oregano (laughs) is missing so i go online and i see that you know she's out there she's looking for uh the cat and uh you know what Eventually, they found a, a postal worker, actually. And this is this is the one thing my partner said as well. She's like, you know, thank God for people who uh, for people who lose pets who have this prominence in the media, in the community, because sure. uh, who, who else is going to be able to have a postal worker who finds the cat and uh, brings it home? So oregano is now safe, thankfully. But we were talking about this yesterday because, I mean, uh-huh. here in Alberta, Edmonton especially, and this time of year. Oh, careful with what you're about to say. I, uh, I do want to be careful because I know maybe, somebody listening might be missing their cat right now. Exactly. We see them all the time. But yeah. it, the, the, the chances. Ow. Yeah. There are yeah. coyotes that, that like it, we see in our neighborhood, especially pets go missing all the time. And we're like, oh, my gosh, if it, it, it's it's like you those, feel sick when you see the announcement. Those detective shows. Right. It's the first 48. You got to find it because after that, the chances go down. So we're very happy to see that oregano uh, is home. And uh, just my wife's favorite uh, yeah. favorite political pet. Do right you here, so. uh, 
Do you think that oregano is actually missing? What? <laughs> like, I'm just saying. I, I, I mean, what you know. What are you know. talking about? Well, I'm just saying, like 12,000 likes on oh her. Uh, 12,000 <laughs> likes on the, uh, on the Instagram video <laughs> of oregano. You know, oregano was missing for... What? Uh, just a, just a convenient, just a few hours, you know. And you, um, is this because the NDP is looking well, for a new are, leader? People are talking about you. Know, maybe Rachel Notley. Maybe there's pressure for Notley to resign, yeah. and maybe you know the news cycle. Maybe people needed some sort of. <laughs> Dude. People needed a timeline refresh, and what better timeline refresh than to rally the community, bring together people of all political stripes to try to find the missing cat? Oregano was just a distraction. <laughs> Get out of here. They want you talking about Oregano the cat. They don't want you talking about <laughs> the upcoming fall session at the Alberta oh. legislature. Is the Alberta NDP on the same page? Distraction at play. I'm uh, I am grateful that uh, oh, we are. It's fun to joke when 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 a when a pet comes home. It's the best. I mean, I will say this about my partner who texted me right away and was like, "They have found oregano," and uh, the pictures started flooding in of the postal worker giving it back to Janice. And, but um, our cat, our elderly cat. Oh my gosh, I just got choked up saying it. Uh, went missing about a year ago, and it was my fault. Again, I oh, left I left the, the door worst. open. Cats love the fresh air, right? So yeah. they'll wander out on the porch. I, I didn't see our elderly cat do this. I shut the door. It was a windy day last fall. And it, so it took refuge somewhere. We didn't know. So my wife comes home. She's like, where's, where's Chloe? Chloe's gone. She starts freaking out. I said, oh, my gosh. I just let the dog out about 10, 15 minutes ago, I might have left it outside. She starts crying, running out outside. It's the worst. I don't want to tell you some of the things she was saying to me. It was basically like, we're, I'm divorcing you if we don't find this cat. Like It was like, John, I swear to God. Oh, man. And we go outside, and uh, there's like a hole. Or there's like a spot. Uh, I don't know if it's from water or rain or whatever, between our back porch and, and the ground, which is next to like the garbage area, the garbage garage by our place. But anyways, it had dug in there and Chloe was literally hiding because it was so windy. Yeah. And she, all I heard, I was walking around the neighborhood and I heard from literally like two blocks away, I found it! And just <laughs> screaming and we rejoiced and we kissed and we hugged and we're still together to this day. But I, I'm pretty sure that was going to be the end of my marriage. Yeah. But like, I knew what Janice was feeling at this. You know the same. If, if you know Moses oh, or one of your dogs went missing, I was I was partially you, right? I was partially responsible uh, for the disappearance of Chica, uh, <laughs> the family Chihuahua, several years ago. Really? Yeah. Um, I don't remember the exact details, but Chica got out, and uh, and 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 she, you know, long story short, we discovered her blissfully exploring the neighborhood, like. <laughs> You know, tail up, like just no problem, just, you know, sort of trotting around, making her mm -hmm. way through the neighborhood. And like, you know, any dog that would have come up, let alone a coyote to mess with Chica would add another thing coming because she was, <laughs> uh, was no she was a force of nature <laughs> and like just a beautiful girl. Chica kind of like taught me how to interact with dogs on a personal level. She was mm. my Chica was my gateway into getting my own dog, Moses. Okay. And so when she was missing, it is an absolutely sick feeling. She was only gone for like 20 minutes again. Yeah. But yeah, you you know, and and then if you know that you're the one that left the Responsible? gate open, you're the one that that left the front door open. Like, like oh, animals, man. they only get this small portion of our our lives, like. Yeah. And you want to make it like my wife always says, you want to make every moment 
10 times like when you when you have a good day you want to make the dog if the dog's having a good day you know it's you got to make it 10 times better for them because they get so few but like oh my gosh when they go missing your heart drops. It's, yeah, man. It's yeah. Um, I I don't actually think that Janice Irwin cooked up the uh, <laughs> oregano. Some people are like in the live chat, like, "What are you high on?" I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a completely different question. But that's nothing. We'll to do save with that for another show. We'll save, save that for another show when we do like a cannabis roundtable. Caffeine, cannabis. Yeah, I mean, right now it's just coffee. Johnny and I just keep scotch. It keep it a lot of things in the <laughs> office. That happens. Power the show. Speaking of which, if you missed our Cheers to Alberta Beers roundtable, that was our version of a timeline cleanse. Yeah on friday it's alberta beer week right now so if you missed that you can check out our our uh, youtube channel or of course wherever you get your podcast our cheers to alberta beers episode great episode uh, yeah it was so much fun with uh three of the uh experts that are making their living in alberta's burgeoning beer scene mm -hmm. uh coming up on tomorrow's real talk we're going to check in with jay ingram uh, you've heard him you've seen him on the show before jay is one of canada's uh most legendary science storytellers uh and he's used his national and even international reach to inspire us his new book uh takes a look at our future and how technology and innovation will shape who we understand ourselves to be and where we live and all kinds of fascinating stuff it's a look at the future in the not too far off future tomorrow right here on real talk Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.